The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if, all, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the gospel of the Lord. There's at least as much how you say something as what you say. There are numerous examples, if you go into a Christian bookstore of the Ten Commandments, that you can buy and put up on your wall somewhere at home if you want to do such a thing. You can put them up in the church basement, in the room where the kids have confirmation. You can put them up in your porch. I don't care. The problem is they're usually not going to be numbered the way that we number them in the Lutheran church. It's going to be off a little bit. The second commandment is going to be unfamiliar and it's going to get more confusing from there. And the reason is that God, when he was giving the Ten Commandments a certain kind of a what, did not exactly tell you how to number them. So churches disagree about the how here. Is it okay, therefore, to have pictures of Jesus in the church? Well, of course it is. So maybe the second commandment really is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, and not something about graven images. The how does matter. It shapes how you think about things. It shapes what you do with that what. Now the how, not just of what you would put up maybe down in the church basement, but of how the Ten Commandments were originally given, is something you want to remember. It's something easily forgotten, as on a peaceful morning when you got rain that you were waiting for, you hear the pastor read the Ten Commandments out to you. The what of it, extremely familiar. The original how is a little bit different, isn't it? In fact, it was so terrifying, so dark, so full of smoke and fire and noise, that you hear both from the Old Testament and the New Testament that when the people were hearing these things read out to them, this what, here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do, when they heard these things from God's messenger, they begged him to stop speaking. They couldn't take the sound of the voice anymore. Maybe it was the what, but is the what really so complicated or objectionable? Is this something that you hear and you just say, 
Stop saying things like that. Isn't this the most obvious and simple and clear and beautiful thing in the world to say that you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself? Are we really saying that we are angry or we are upset or we don't want these kinds of things set up on some kind of monument outside the county courthouse because we're angry that God says, one day out of the week you should rest and listen to my word. Is that what's upsetting us so much? They rested on Saturday in the Old Testament and now because of Jesus' resurrection we rest on Sunday? Is that so? You have to take some time off? Is that so objectionable? Are we really angry that God says that you shouldn't mix things into your marriage and your family that don't belong there, like people you're not married to and things you're not supposed to see? Are we angry that he says you shouldn't steal from other people? I mean, even little kids know that people shouldn't steal. At least they know that people shouldn't steal from them. Some of this stuff is intuitive, and a lot of it is wonderful. Even if we relatively rarely these days do see people resting on Sunday or worrying about stealing from others. Is it really the what that mankind gets upset about? I don't think so. I mean, they might have reasons or they might have excuses. I think, however, it's the how. Because when Moses gives this, the people have been led out of Israel, but they haven't, therefore, changed what they are inside. They have been brought out of slavery, but they are not really different people. And that is something that if you look throughout the Bible when it talks about this episode with the Ten Commandments, you'll find that there are two kinds of stone. One are the the set of tablets that have the Ten Commandments on them. You have a little picture of those actually numbered on the front of your bulletin. Those are the first ten letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And Hebrew uses letters in place of numbers. So you've got one, two, and three on one of them. That's on the right-hand side because everything is backwards in Hebrew, right to left, and then four through ten on the other. That's a nice how, nice and clear and easy. But the other kind of stone is really the problem, and it's not what the commandments are written on. In fact, God cares so little about that stone and those commandments that they get put in the Ark of the Covenant and then just kind of lost after a while. And that's the second set, because the first set, when Moses came down the mountain and he saw the people dancing and going crazy and worshiping other gods, Moses broke the first set. And God said, that's all right, here's a, here's a replacement copy. That kind of stone is not really the problem or a big deal, and God doesn't even get angry at Moses for breaking the first set. What angers the Lord and what is really the problem is this other kind of stone, and that's what the Bible calls a heart of stone. Now, I don't think this is so hard to understand either because unlike the Ten Commandments, these are things that we could even experience if we never stepped inside a church at all. People's hearts are indeed hard. 
You have situations that Jesus told you about in the part of the Sermon on the Mount that you heard that are something like this, but if you can think about certain kinds of situations in your own life, maybe your heart was hard or at least hardened. Perhaps against God for the way that life went. Perhaps against God because of the way life did not go. Certainly, at times, people have hardened their hearts against you, rightly or wrongly, or you have hardened your heart against others, rightly or wrongly. Now, there was a what missing there, and that what was love. When your heart is hard against God, you can't possibly love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when your heart is hard against your neighbor, it is hard, if not impossible, to forgive the kind of forgiveness that Jesus talks about. The problem wasn't the tablets, the stone, the numbering. None of that was an issue. The problem was always the human heart and how hard, how stony it is. We're like kids especially when you get old enough to know better, but you're not yet old enough to care much. You are 19 years old, and your dad is telling you what to do this Saturday evening, and you do not want to listen to him, and you are on your way out the door. You are going to get in that car and drive out the driveway as fast as you possibly can. The problem is not, as you will later learn, that your father is actually wrong. The problem is not the what. It's that it's his voice and that you are 19 and that you know better. Time will prove you wrong, but right now you know better. So you aren't going to listen and you're not going to think about what he said because what does he know? Now, if he didn't love you, he wouldn't have said anything. Even though he's not so dumb, he's been alive long enough to know, you're not going to listen right now. So it is with your Father in heaven. If he didn't love you and didn't care about you, and if he didn't love and didn't care about your relatives who aren't here this morning, or anybody else who could be here but is not, or could believe, but hasn't heard, he would not speak. Because he loves so deeply and utterly, he continues to speak. Also these things that hard hearts don't listen to. Because he knows this, that the problem isn't that he's wrong. It's that you don't want to listen until he changes you. So when the prophet Jeremiah talks about these stony hearts, he says, here's what God's going to do by his spirit. And this is the very thing to pray for, for your relatives. That God, by his spirit, through his word, would do a heart transplant. That he would take out the heart of stone. The kind of heart you have when you know better at 19. And he would take that heart out and just put it away and throw it in the garbage dump. Nobody needs that thing. And he would put it, instead, a heart 
of flesh that can feel and can hear. Because when Jesus is talking to you in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually believes you're listening. He actually believes you want to know that you want to be, and indeed you are, the light of the world. That you want to be, and indeed you are, the salt of the earth, keeping it, preserving it, for the sake of the righteous. That you want to be, and indeed you are, listening. And everyone understands this, because later on, after you are 19, you begin to think about that what a little more sincerely. You realize, maybe at 29 or 39 or 79, that your dad was right. There was nothing wrong with the what of what he said. The whole problem was the how of how you heard. And now, with a little more wisdom and experience, you hear the what so much differently. With a little more wisdom and experience day by day, you hear the what of Jesus' commands and of Moses' law differently. Not as spoken in anger to make you feel bad, as if, like a 19-year-old, you think the world centers on you and your dreams and your plans, but as the wisest counsel, as the best advice. And when you eat it, it's sweeter than honey in your mouth. So that you say with David, I love your law. I love it. It sounds good and it tastes good. And when I live these things that you teach me, when I live the forgiveness that you teach me to give, the kind of forgiveness that usually only people forgive when they are on the verge of death's door and realize they don't need to hang on to all the stuff that they thought they did. But Paul says you have already died, so I guess you can forgive like you're dying. When you begin to practice these things, you realize, with the wisdom of someone just a little bit older than the 19-year-old running out the door, that it's actually good, and this is the best life the Father could have ever given you. Out of his love, out of his mercy, I love your law. He's not preparing you in this life for something small and silly, a life centered on yourself that will prove disappointing later on. He's preparing you now in this life for the life of the world to come, when the things that seemed important pass away and the kinds of obsessive, self-destructive things that people get themselves into instead of his law prove as fruitless as the onlookers could have expected. He's preparing you for a life in which you will always hear him. Hear him speaking to you. Hear him blessing you. Hear him speaking his love for you into eternity. You were made to hear him. So listen to him now. Listen to him before that day, hear his law and put these things into practice. Hear him. All the other voices and distractions that you have right now, they will go away. They will prove nothing later on. 
And then there will come a day when, as those who heard the voice of God at Mount Sinai, and as those who listened to the Master teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, you will hear him only, hear his voice speaking to you. And just like you can look back and hear your father's voice saying something that was so true, but you couldn't take it then, you can look forward and you will hear your father's voice speaking to you, your father who is in heaven. And he will say things the like of which you have never yet heard, but you, child of God, can expect to hear. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Oh, you blessed of my Father. Amen.